The nail in the coffin! Often from a hotel in the snowy suburbs of Denver, I'm Tom Valentino, back in Columbus, he's Travis Yuley, and Trav, I'm not sure if you realized, but this episode marks the beginning of year five for us. Well, hot damn, I did not realize that. I yeah, believe also, yeah, uh, what's, thank you, yes, you as well, my friend. I believe three years ago today, <laughs> uh, the Indians were starting their uh, the World Series as well, I saw some of those. Uh, bittersweet memories on the old Twitterverse today. That was a, a great day to be on Time Hop for that. That was no uh, kidding. Good times. Yeah. So hey, as we start the uh, fifth year of this podcast, the Cavs are starting their fiftieth season, and we saw them drop their opener last night in Orlando. Uh, team's going to open up the home part of its schedule on Saturday night to help us get the ball rolling on a new year. We're going to welcome back an old friend, our pal. Mark Mazaros, Mez, by your own admission, you told me that you mostly took a break from following the Cavs closely last year. Are you back in? Uh, I'm at least half back in. First, I just want to say, gentlemen, it's great to be back with you. And congrats on, if I'm understanding this correctly, four years on the book and good luck with year five. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I remember, as I think we all do, the last time LeBron uh, sort of finished a Cavalier rain if you will and you're left with a bunch of like mismatched parts and a team that was aging and built to be around LeBron and I've seen what that looks like in the early stages and I thought I'm trying to keep up with a lot of streaming television and and movies and I'm just gonna not pay a lot of attention this year for my own health so call me a fair weather fan if you did if you want to but that's that's the route I went well, I'm going to give you credit for at least jumping back in here, even if it is only halfway, because uh, uh, I suspect that uh, quite a few people are, are still waiting uh, to uh, to make the plunge. Um, we'll, we'll get into it in a bit, but uh, some of the things I've seen with the ticket sales and what I'm a little worried for uh, what things are going to look like down there at, uh, at the newly rechristened Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. But uh, mm. last night's game was, uh, was interesting. Um, it gave me a good distraction uh, while I was driving back or, uh, from the uh, the airport here in Denver on some horrendous roads. Uh, I was in the backseat of a cab and wanted as little attention on the road as I possibly could have. So uh, it was a good, good sidetrack. But uh, other than that, uh, I don't know. What, what did you make of uh, the opening night down there in Orlando? Uh, I, I only really had like a, you know, maybe an eye and a half on the first half and didn't see much of the second half, unfortunately. But um you know, I, I'm trying to be all in on John Beeline, and I, I like the style of play he, he wants to play. I mean, I think it's aesthetically the basketball I like, lots of body movement, like lots of ball movement, and unsurprisingly, not great out of the gate. You know, um, they just they didn't hit enough shots, and to me, they, looked, they were getting tired, but uh, I don't expect them to be good right away. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the general broad direction here at the beginning of the Beeline era. Trev, refresh my memory. What were your feelings on the hiring of John Beeline? And uh, has anything changed now that we've had a training camp uh, um, completed and we've got a game under our belt? My initial, I'm not going to say I was really particularly high or low on Beeline either way. It just seemed like sort of an odd hire. Um, he seemed like a guy who 
was a, a hell of a um, a hell of a college basketball coach, right? But a little, you know, long in the tooth, and didn't really ever get the inkling that he was interested in going to the NBA at all. He didn't seem like, and maybe I missed the rumors at the time, but it never seemed like he was a guy that was frequently being talked about for NBA jobs. Um, it kind of surprised me, period, that he even considered going in the to the NBA in the first place. Um, I guess from maybe in hindsight, maybe looking at a little more completely with a team that's at, at this sort of level where they're very young and, and not particularly good and they have to sort of have to do a lot with developing players um, over maybe winning games. Um, maybe it makes a little bit more sense that way because, I mean, he had obviously a ton of success at Michigan without not a whole ton of how to how too many like elite players. So maybe it made sense in that vein. Um, but I, I won't say that my opinions necessarily changed a whole lot. I, I still, I, I don't feel strongly one way or another, and I'm sort of at a wait and see, uh, wait and see sort of stage, I guess. I, I think I said this at the time when the hiring was announced, but I was really surprised because the Cavs were pretty public in terms of who they were interviewing. I felt like there wasn't a lot of mystery around that. And there were probably, I don't know, nine or 10 candidates and all of them fit a specific profile. They were all younger guys. They were all NBA assistants who were uh, highly regarded around the league and made their name in the league and were looking for their first head coaching job. And then, I hadn't even heard any rumors that he had been interviewed. And all of a sudden it was like, John Beeline gets a five-year deal. And he's like the polar opposite of everything that they, you know, were looking at in terms of the traits of everybody else they had interviewed. So I was really shocked. Um, like you said, though, the player development aspect uh, of, you know, when you're trying to sell folks on the idea of hiring him makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially when you look at where their roster is at now, um, and, you know, I, I think, as, you know, I start thinking about a guy like Kevin Porter, uh, we saw a little bit of last night, um, really interesting, clearly has skills, but also seems to be pretty raw. And, and he's one of those guys where if Beeline can work his magic uh, like he did in Michigan in developing guys and getting them to the league, um, if he can kind of translate that now that he's in the NBA, maybe the maybe this can work. Um, Mez, I, what are you thinking about Beeline? I, I mean, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I, you know, I'm sure that obviously the Cavs would never admit this, but he sort of, and I, you know, I totally want to double down on the young player development aspect of him because we have always heard about these Michigan teams. He, he, he sort of doesn't either get or go for the biggest high school names, but he sort of looks for guys that he can develop and fit together and build a team. And again, they would never say this, but he strikes me as the guy who's going to, in their blueprint, get you to the next guy. You know, he's going to mold the young guys they want to keep. And, and, and then, like, when they have more of a veteran team, maybe he – I mean, he is up there in age. Maybe he retires. They get get somebody else. But I'm thinking way down the road. I, I, I just really like the hire for right now and for the next three or four years. What uh, what did you make of Darius Garland? I, I was pretty excited about what I saw from him last night. I didn't get – again, I didn't get to see as much last night as I would like to. I saw him hit a couple of – uh long you know sort of uh, maybe not step back threes but long threes where he just kind of started dribbling around and hoisted it up and he hit him and uh that is the quickest way to my heart if you have a uh, deep range um i i'm i love the garland pick i mean you know i would have loved zion i would have loved john morant but once uh once i kind of investigated garland a little more i i 
I'm super excited about him. I, I want to see them feature him as much as possible. I think he's got the, uh, every, you know, what I want from a point guard, the shooting ability and the passing ability and a little bit of drive. And um, I, I'm, I'm in love with him until I need to not be. All right. Trevor, you buying stock in Darius Garland? I am. And I think a lot of it is because in a way he was his injury, his injury in college where he barely got to play at all. Um, I think probably devalued him a little bit. Um, so no one really knew what they were getting from him. Um, I think all signs have so far have sort of indicated that He's a guy who can shoot. He can score the ball, right? And, oh, God, I hate that I said that. Um, <laughs> that's, that's like a pet peeve of mine, and I'm just – I'm pissed at myself for using it. He can score the ball. Um, he could score. You're fine. Uh, you're you're, you're uh, later, uh, informing you you've been uh, fine as in the mail. Uh, well, mine is, uh, mine is that he's off the charts, so just stay off of that one. Yeah, that uh, right up there as well. Um, anyways... <laughs> uh, he seems like a guy that could score, right? And he's, I like him. I'll admit, I'm, I'm not particularly high on Sexton still. Um, I don't know. I just don't know that he's, I don't know that his ceiling is that high. And I don't know that he's ever a guy that you're ever going to be all that excited about. Um, I think Garland has the potential to be a really damn good player. Um, I think he's got all the tools and a lot of, a lot of my, I guess, consternation when they drafted him was that didn't really know anything about him, right? He got hurt after a few games in college and haven't really seen anything he could do. Um, everything I've seen in the off season. And I, I I'm with Mez. I didn't watch the whole game yesterday. I saw part of it. Um, it, it. He looks like a guy who, I mean, it's one game obviously. Right. But he's got all the tools and I think he's the kind of, I think he's the kind of player that you need um, that you can, you know, that can be a pretty damn good player and, and, and fits in with where the NBA is right now. I'm glad you mentioned Colin Sexton because I want to talk about him next. But the one thing that I will say about Garland, um, like as you were saying, he had that nice move to get himself open and create his own shot uh, from the perimeter last night. And that was something I think I saw from him in the preseason game that I was at as well. Um, And the other thing that I thought was really encouraging, two things. Number one, it really seemed like he was prioritizing getting his teammates involved and he almost deferred to a fault. I think he only had like eight or nine shot attempts for the entire game and he played 31 minutes. Um, I don't know. Maybe Jordan Clarkson can take a hint the next time he comes out on the floor. Um, (laughs) It's Jordan Clarkson time, Jordan Clarkson. Um, But the other thing that I really liked was it felt like Garland played with a really deliberate controlled pace where it never looked like he was out of control. He looked comfortable out there, which for somebody playing in their first NBA game, uh, that's a great sign I thought. And I was really encouraged Um, and making a transition here. I think it kind of contrasts with where we saw Colin Sexton at this point last year. And, you know, I think for a lot of reasons, the way he's been perceived in his uh, you know year plus with the Cavs, I think it's a little bit unfair, just because uh, you know if you look back to how his season started last year, it was really a whole ridiculous set of circumstances. You know, first he comes in as the long-awaited centerpiece to the Kyrie trade, 
because that pick didn't end up being as good as we thought it was going to be when that deal was made. So there's unfair expectations right off the bat there. And then you think about how the actual season started. Tyloo gets fired after six games. Kevin Love misses half the year. Tristan Thompson misses a ton of games. Kyle Corver's traded. J.R. Smith is exiled for the rest of the year. I don't think it was a coincidence that Sexton's numbers got significantly better as the season wore on. And in the second half of the year, I think he was like, uh, you know, post all-star break scored like 20 points a game and was shooting like 41% from three point range, which that's useful. I mean, that that's a legitimate NBA player. And if you told me that, you know, a guy that we drafted eighth is going to put up those numbers, I'll take it. Bez, how do you feel about Colin Sexton? I'm, I'm sort of somewhere between you guys because I, I, I've sort of felt the way Travis uh, sort of vocalized him that uh, I, I just haven't been able to fall in love with him. But I agree that the numbers are getting there. I guess it's, again, to, to use the word aesthetics, like I just don't love watching him play the way I'm sort of early loving the way Garland plays. And it, it, again, I think it's maybe just taste because you talk about Garland. I, I forget exactly what you said, but I sort of feel like Garland looks like one of those guys who's just moving at his own speed and it's fine. He's just in control. And I think of Sexton and the little bit I've seen is just a little more frenetic and more of a driver. Uh, and I just prefer the other, but it's interesting that they've got this contrast. And I, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch because you could tell me either that both of them will be around for a long time or that Sexton won't be here in, in two years. So I can't wait to see how that uh, that goes. But I, I love to, to try this two point guard offense for now in, in, until you want to do something different. Yeah, I mean, the Cavs at this point really are, are in asset collection mode, and it's about just getting players and not really worrying about fit next to each other and figure out who can play and who can't. So I'm with you on that. I, I don't have a problem with trying out a little experimenting with having those guys together in the backcourt, at least for now. I'm I'm also really happy that they're both starting right now. I thought there was right. a good chance that one of them, probably Garland, would be coming off the bench for at least a few games, but uh, heads off to Beeline for getting him out there and getting him a lot of minutes right off the bat. Um, all right, so the news just broke uh, about an hour before we jumped on here that uh, Jetty Osmond has got a, a four-year extension. And by all so- accounts, this sounds like a great deal for the Cavs, uh, about $31 million over four years. The number per season reduces each year, and I think the last year is even non-guaranteed. Um, Trav, I'll start with you. Uh, your feelings on... Chetty Osman, and um, I, I can't imagine that you have any sort of a problem with this uh, with this deal. Am I wrong? No, no. I I, I think I think Jetty Osman is a guy who's he's he'll always have a place like on a team. I don't know. He, obviously, he's not a, a star. He's never gonna be like all star MVP caliber type guy. That should go without saying. I think, um, but it's a good value. I mean, what eight million bucks for? for a guy who can do a lot of different things. Um, it, it's ultimately it's, it's how excited can you really get about anyone on this team that, you know, you sort of know what a lot of them are already. Like we know what Jetty Osman is. Um, but no, I think it, generally it's, it's a, it's a good valuable pick. I'm not super excited about it. I'm not buying season tickets tomorrow. Um, but he's a guy that, I, you know, I like watching play. I think he's a solid player and, uh, um, yeah, good good on them. Mez, I felt like Jetty was another one who last year uh, had a really rough first half of the season. He was playing out of position a lot with the injuries to the guys up front. 
and um, he, he also was dealing with some injuries of his own. And once all that stuff kind of blew over, uh, he was another guy like Colin Sexton where his numbers improved a lot, uh, you know, after the start of uh, the new calendar year. Um, you feel like he can be a starter on this team whenever they get good again, or is his destiny probably looking at being more of a useful reserve? Uh, I would say the latter. You know, when I was about a half hour ago, I was uh, looking at uh, cab salaries and who they've got money committed to for how long. And I saw that, I, I don't know what his contract status was exactly, but I saw that we didn't have anything committed to him for next year. And I thought, boy, you'd both hate to just lose him for nothing. And you'd hate to have to overpay him right now because you're afraid to uh, to lose him. And I, I guess I just really like the number they got him at because I feel like now you got all flexibility. If he has to be your starter for a while, fine. If uh, if he's a little bit longer term as a bench guy, I think that's more ideal. I don't think he has that top line talent. You know, hopefully uh, Windler comes on and is great, and and Chetty's maybe on the bench earlier than we think. But you could trade him. I I love the deal without making it sound like I love it because he's so good. I just think it's it's good value for the Cavs. I feel like Jetty Osman. I feel like to a point, Jetty Osman is kind of what we all thought or we all uh, delusionally told ourselves um, Delhi was after that one playoff game where he went nuts and did everything. I feel like that's actually who Chetty Osman can be. I, uh, I I gotta say, I, I was very excited to see him at the start of last year. Jetty that is, I'm, I'm kind of done with Delhi, but we can get into him another day. Um, yeah. He's probably, uh, Jetty's probably not going to end up panning out to be quite, what I hoped he could be uh, entering last season uh, at the same time, though, I mean, seven or $8 million a year, even for a guy who's like a seventh or eighth man on your team is not bad money at all. That, that is a, a very reasonable deal in the grand scheme of things. Number one, number two, after this year, the Cavs are going to have a ton of cap space. And number three, it's not like the Cavs are a particularly great free agent destination historically anyway. So I don't think this is going to preclude them from reeling in any big fish. And even moreover, there's not going to be a lot of big fish to go out there uh, trying to bring in next summer anyway. That free agent class for 2020 is drying up in a hurry. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Wolf is right. So... Um, not great. Cavs actually, <laughs> not, <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, Cavs uh, have got some options here for how they can uh, free up some more money. Uh, looking at this, there's five guys who have contracts that uh, are going to be expiring, I think, after this year. And it is uh, Tristan, Delhi, Brandon Knight, who I, to be perfectly honest with you, completely forgot he was even still on our roster. Jordan Clarkson, John Henson, who uh, I think there's a very real chance we never actually see him play a game in a Cavs <laughs> uniform. I'm, it just seems like one thing after another with him that uh, he's just, I, I don't know what, what his deal is. But, um, Mez, what do you think uh, the future is with those five guys? Um, how many of them should we expect to no longer be on this roster uh, after uh, after the season's over? If you put the line at 4.5, I'd have uh, I'd have trouble which way to bet. Um, I my, my sense is if they could get him at a reasonable number, you wouldn't mind keeping Clarkson because it, it's not uh, so easy to get, you know, that in, even though he drives you nuts sometimes, I think it's not that easy to get that instant, instant offense off the bench. But 
the rest of these guys just feel like um, their destiny is to be in some kind of package deal where we take on a guy at a big number for more years. Like, I, I don't, don't you feel everybody's run is, is probably over? What's that? Pretty close. Yeah, probably. I have to think so. Yeah. I just, I, none of these guys feel like long-termers to me with the possible exception of Clarkson, but I'm guessing that, you know, he wants to go somewhere else and somebody pays him a little more or something. But I, I just think these are not long, these are not long timers at the gas. Clarkson's one of those guys that I really want to like. And when he has those hot streaks, it's like, see, he, he can do things. He can, <laughs> there's, there's hope here, but you just get games like last night where he just, Oh God, it, it just hurts to watch. Um, Tristan to me is the one that I think is going to be kind of interesting because I, I think he's got some real value around the league. Um, but uh, I, I'm curious to know what the Cavs, how the Cavs view him internally and how much stock they put in having him in terms of, you know, being a veteran in the locker room, um, you know, which also brings up Kevin Love. Uh, obviously, he's not going to be a free agent after this year. His four-year extension is just kicking in now. But, um, you know, I, I don't think you're allowed to do a Cavs podcast uh, without mentioning uh, Kevin Love trade rumors. So um, I don't know. Maybe he's another guy that uh, we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on as the, the year goes on. Can I ask a question? Is Because uh, I haven't kept up with this. Is, is Tristan totally free of the Kardashian world these days? Like, is, is his profile lower? Is he, he looks to me like a guy who's in, like, a little better shape now, and maybe it's just these heels from injuries. But, like, I, I think he looks a little spryer, so – I would think his his value would be maybe uh, higher than it would have been like a year ago. Am I crazy? I don't know the status of uh, his personal life. Uh, Trav, do you know that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like I just you got your copy saw... of Us Weekly yet? Yeah, no. I feel like I saw I just recently. Wonder, you know, that, uh... here. I wonder if he's a little more wired in. Maybe, maybe. I mean, he's only really got probably he's probably only got one contract left in him, right? So. Um, at least one significant one. Um, right. Who knows what, th- what that, if, if that, if that even really exists, but probably, yeah, I mean, he's probably taken a little more seriously. I, I don't think he's, I think he's sort of out of the, the limelight at the moment. Um, but you know, with those, those people, um, those people, uh, <laughs> something can always pop back up, right? Like someone could become embroiled in it all over again. I saw, uh, what's his face? Lamar Odom somehow came up in Kardashian news again today, and I thought he's been out of that for years now. So you're never uh, truly out. Exactly. <laughs> Just when he thought he was out, they pulled him back in. They pulled him back in. I, I know. I, I don't want to keep going back to just one game, but uh, Tristan, I thought, did look fantastic last night. Uh, very active on the glass and uh, had a decent little touch around the rim. That, uh, you, and it's also hard to believe he's in his ninth year with the Cavs already. It, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago that they brought him in, but I, I guess, uh, I guess it is. It's, uh, it's, it's something. But um, Mez, have you been in the uh, the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse since uh, the renovations were done? Oh, you're just no, laying like... the foundation. You are. <laughs> oh, oh, man. All right, I'm getting ready. I, I have not. I'm looking forward to uh, to checking it out, but uh, no, I have not. All right. Um, I will say I was in there last week for the, the last preseason game, and uh, I if people have listened to this podcast in the past, I 
was very skeptical as to whether they needed those renovations to be done. Honestly, I'm still skeptical about whether those renovations needed to be done, but I will give them credit for this. The work that was done in that building was absolutely fantastic and it looks awesome in there. And the people who have said that it looks like a completely new arena uh, when you get inside, I completely agree with them because it, it really does. I was shocked by how different that place looks inside. Does it look better or worse than the renderings we saw for phase two of the casino when it was promised <laughs> to us eight years ago? Oh boy. Um, file not found. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> well, Tino, I'll be there for a concert in like a week and a half. So if you have any uh, must eats or anything, I'll be all ears. So, you know, hit me up. Yeah. I did not hit up the food at all. I was, uh, I was in one of the, uh, the the suites for the preseason game, and they just did like pizza and popcorn and some some of the basics, and that was fine. But I do know there's a lot of new food options in there. The one thing that I thought that was really cool was I was kind of curious to know how the upper deck, that one end, was going to look with them tearing out three sections of seat. They, they removed, I think, like over a thousand seats in the in the seating bowl. Um, but that uh, bar area that they put in up there, uh, it looks good. I didn't get a chance to walk around, but at least from a distance, uh, real nice. Much better than the shipping cont- containers in the upper deck of Progressive Field. I, I will say that much is, uh, for, for certain. Um, the other big news Excellent. that, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's good. And frankly, they, the Cavs are going to need to probably be pulling out all the stops. You know, that kind of leads me into my next point. Um have you heard about this monthly pass that they're offering for tickets for the Cavs for this year? Uh, if you're asking me, uh, no, you, you, you mentioned it in our text exchange. I meant to look into it, but I know nothing about it. I am All also right, so, unfamiliar. Okay. So the deal that the Cavs announced is for $49 a month per ticket or, or per person, you can get and uh, uh, guarantee yourself a, a seat at every game for a month. So if you buy a monthly $49 to, for an upper deck seat or $89 guarantees you a lower deck seat. Um, and, you know, it has to be attached to like one flash seats account. So like I, if, I, if I wanted to buy, I, I could personally buy two passes. So then, you know, it's, it's on my account. And as long as I'm going, I could take any person with me that I want um for that month so i'd basically pay 98 bucks for the month and if there's i don't know six or seven or eight home games or whatever i'm guaranteed a seat at every home game um then you just have to let them know i think like 24 hours before the game and then they'll drop a couple seats in your flash seats account and and you're in i think personally it's a little alarming that they have not had to make any mention about there being a cap on the number of these that they're selling. And I think it's also kind of crazy that they can accommodate every single pass holder for every game. Um, especially considering that they reduce the capacity in the arena. Um, kind of makes me wonder how many tickets they've sold for the year before that. But I give them credit because when your team's obviously going through a rebuild, um, you got to kind of hustle to get people excited and, and get people in the building. And um, unlike certain other teams in town that will just say, Oh, you know, market 
challenges, blah, blah, blah. What can we do? I, I feel like the Cavs are at least trying to be creative here uh, to get people in the door. I'll say this as a guy who had season tickets for three years um, after the last um, LeBron year, it doesn't surprise me at all that um, they're not having super high demand on these tickets. Uh, um, I will say I, I had a hard time giving away tickets at times. Um, so it's, it's honestly not just that they're rebuilding. I can't really put my finger. It might, maybe it's, you know, warriors fatigue or something like that was the cause of it back then. But even when they were going to the finals and had LeBron, um, people weren't really begging for Cavs tickets near the end there. Yeah, I think the market probably got burned out by having four straight years in the finals. And, you know, and the Cavs obviously see that as an opportunity to make some money. I mean, they probably priced themselves out on a few games, especially in the latter years of the second LeBron run. Um, interesting that you mentioned being a season ticket holder, because I, I think that's the one group this year that seemed to be pretty furious with this, because there are people that obviously have paid thousands of dollars for season tickets. And now they find out that, there are people that are going to pay maybe 15% of that and are going to basically get the same quality of tickets for the, you know, as many games um, this year. So unless you're like really excited by all the other perks that season ticket holders get. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're just caring about going to the games yeah, you probably you're uh, kicking yourself a little bit over this right now, I would think. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, so. I mean, you always have to deal with that, though. Like any any time a team gets a little desperate and needs to start, you know, doing things to attract new fans, the old ones are always going to be pissed because they didn't get as good of a deal. There's really no way to avoid that. So for all the things I, I think fair criticisms, uh, fair criticisms you can make about the Cavs organization, I don't think that's really one of them. Yeah, I mean, that's really one of those things that's not even just related to ticket sales for teams. I mean, I think back this is probably like eight or nine years ago, whenever the iPad came out and I remember the first iPad went on the market for like $499. And that thing looks pretty cool. I'd like to get one of those, but I really don't have a spare 500 bucks laying around. So I'm probably not going to do it. Well, Hewlett Packard came out with their own version called the touchpad. And they made the fatal mistake of trying to price it also at $4.99, thinking that their reputation of being a good computer company, they could compete. And it became very clear very quickly that uh, if people were going to buy a tablet, they were going to buy it and spend 500 bucks. They were going to buy an iPad. And the touchpad from HP was a huge failure. And they cut their losses immediately and had to drop them down to like 99 bucks. I remember that because I did have a hundred bucks laying around. So at my lunch the one day, <laughs> I drove up the street to the Best Buy in Mayfield Heights and uh, talked to somebody behind the counter. And the way he like side-eyed me and pulled me off to the side, you'd have thought we were doing like a black market drug deal or something. Um, yeah. We just got a shipment of them off the truck here. Hang on one second. He goes like ducking into the back. I'm like, okay, it's really not that big of a deal, but that's cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of those things it's supply and demand. So uh, whether it's a, uh, tablets uh, a decade ago or Cavs tickets now it uh, the, the market uh, has a way of correcting itself i guess um you know when you charge Eddie, uh, when you charge what you charge for beer and food you just got to get people in the door 
Yeah, exactly. And especially now, if they're going to have all these new dining options in there, I'm sure uh, that people are probably going to be, and you know, if people can get in there cheaply, that maybe that'll even make them more willing to uh, splurge a little bit on that stuff or the team shop. You know, if you like uh, sure. the mid nineties, what's ahead? It seems it seems smart to me. I, I like it. Yeah, I was going to say if you like the mid nineties, uh, baby blue and black and orange, uh, you're going to have all sorts of opportunities to buy that stuff this year. They're going all in on the twenty uh, century of uh of that building opening and the the uniforms from back then i think they're they're doing that for opening night uh the, the home opener on saturday we're gonna see the black and blue uniforms what are your feelings on those mez did, did you like those uniforms or not because i i gotta be honest i i don't think I, I went for a long time not liking them and they've been gone just long enough now that i've got some sort of a weird nostalgia for them that i am kind of surprised by myself I'm sort of the same boat. I always hated the white and I hated the white and blue. I like the black and blue a lot better. Uh, so if they're going to parade those around more, I'm, I'm for that. Uh, they can do worse things, but uh, they're, they're not my favorite. I mean, my favorite Cavs uniforms, I think are the first LeBron era. I, I love those. It's insane to me how many different looks the Cavs have had. I mean, teams change their jerseys all the time. And especially since this Nike deal has taken over where they get, you know, a new statement, jersey every two or three years and a new city jersey every year and whatever other category they can make up but just it's crazy to me how many different distinctly different looks the Cavs have had over the years from the old school white and gold to the blue and orange to you know whatever that the the black and blue to you know the first LeBron era to the second LeBron era and I don't know (laughs) there's no consistent identity uh, yeah, I was going to say, I feel like it's pretty uncommon for any pro team to have like this frequent a change in in overall like brand and identity. Like there's this constantly changing over the last, you know, 10, 12 years or whatever. Yeah. Even further, probably than that. Well, when you what walk I don't get the new... they're still using the uh, the C, you know, the, the C I like and that that logo from like that early LeBron stuff with this new blockier letters they have it doesn't make sense to me i think they have two different things going on but you know what do i know it's it's a little strange i I will say if you go into the new atrium on the north side of the arena they've got a display they've got a they've got the larry o'brien trophy in a case and that was the first time i got to actually see it in person and that was very i had a moment there not gonna lie um but they also have a, a wall with different jerseys displayed from over the past 50 years and it looks like you know five different franchises there you'd never realize those were all the same team at first glance but um, I guess that's just the way the NBA goes all right we are we're running up against it uh, Maz any other lingering thoughts about uh, the 50th season of Cavs basketball here before we close up shop no I just want to see Windler I think he's the uh, other piece of the puzzle you know he's been beset by injuries I love shooters he's a sort of a stretch guy so I want to see him and just see how we develop, but, uh, you know, I'm not expecting a lot of wins this year. That's fine. Let's get another, you know me, I'm always for a high draft pick, so it's fine. All right. Trev, parting shots. Uh, for the Cavs, I think I'm probably with Mez a little bit, um, almost, um, almost entirely, honestly, when he said it's, it's, he's sort of half in, um, I got guys I'm excited to see, but I, I don't, it's hard for me to really get too excited about watching a team that's going to lose a lot, even, even on, you know, on a nightly basis, there might be one or two things that sort of get you excited and have you started thinking positively. Um, I, I just, I can't do that every night. 
<laughs> um, so <laughs> I think it'll, it'll be one of those things where I, I catch a game here and there and I'll have it on in the background while I'm doing other stuff. And it'll be fun to see some of these guys develop, I guess, but overall, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not something I'm super, super psyched to get started. Well, uh, I'm assuming there's going to be a month somewhere along the line this year where there's going to be a nice collection of visiting opponents. And I'm probably going to take the leap and get one of those monthly passes, not for every month of the season. I don't think even I could do that, but uh, one month here or there where I could just go binge on games, I'm probably going to have to take the leap at some point. And I'll have to uh, rope you guys into coming down there and uh, we'll, we'll catch a game and it'll be a good time. That's one thing. It's always fun to go to games. So that's the thing. Like I'm not watching them on TV, but, yeah, I'd absolutely go catch one in person just because that it part is. of it is fun. So I think that's, I think it's actually a pretty damn good idea. I don't know how many people they'll, they'll, I don't know how successful it will be because that's still a lot asking someone to go to, you know, I don't know what's an average month, seven or eight home games, probably. Um, yeah. That's still a big ask in and of itself. Cause like Mez said, you still gotta, you still gotta buy drinks and food and parking and it's still, you know, a six to seven hour and eh, maybe not that long, but five to six hour commitment on a weeknight. Um, I mean, we see that even when the Indians are really good and tickets are dirt cheap for those, they have a hard time getting people there. So um, yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that program works. I think it's a good idea. I'm with you. I think they're getting creative, trying to figure out new ways to get people there, but um, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. I think until I, until I see the results. I would note that you would probably only have to go to like two games in a month to make it pay for itself versus whatever the single game ticket prices are. For sure. But for uh, sure. yeah, yeah, we could. Mez, good, good bringing you back into the fold here. Uh, always fun to talk Cavs basketball. Uh, maybe this isn't uh, playoff basketball like we've talked about in past years, but uh, I had fun with this. Thanks for uh, joining us. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Great to be back. All right. Uh, as for us, we are on Apple Podcasts. We're now on Spotify, and we are on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe or you can stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. Thanks again to Mark Mazaros for joining us to talk a little Cavs basketball. That's going to do it for us week. For Travis Yuley, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.